Welcome to AM Best Audio. I'm John Weber for AM Best TV and we're at the IASA conference in Minneapolis. We have an excellent panel today to talk about climate risk. They are Heidi Roop, Assistant Professor at the University of Minnesota, Peter Brickwetty, Assistant Commissioner of Commerce Department for the State of Minnesota, and Mark Kolda, Vice President Public Affairs for Insurance Federation of Minnesota. And we're going to start with uh, you today, Mark. What impact is data and analytics having on mitigating climate risk? Well, for insurers, the important thing is understanding what exactly is happening. We like to say that we're not climate scientists in the insurance industry, but we're numbers people. And the numbers are very clear. And the numbers show that over the last 20 years or so, at least here in Minnesota, we've seen a dramatic increase in the number of pretty severe storms that have cost consumers money. So from a perspective of analyzing the data and figuring out what we need to do financially, insurers use this information uh, and, and take it very close to heart so that they can prepare financially to be able to pay these claims in times of need. I mean, I think I'll add just briefly on the, the thinking about the climate context and climate risk and what is it that we're managing for. So I'm, I am a numbers person, but I'm a climate scientist and not an insurer. Um, and so what we do know as well, very clearly, both looking in the past um, and as we look forward, as we think about what risk are we exposed to, um, we know that the past is no longer the best predictor of the future. And so we clearly need to be thinking about how we leverage recent events and think about what does it mean to manage risk under a climate changed future, which we know is coming. Um, and so you know, there, there's this idea of leaning into past climate information as the predictive tool. Um, and we know that's no longer sufficient if we, we really want to get it right. Peter, what's the regulatory perspective when it comes to climate risk? Well, I think our interest uh, as an insurance regulator is the combination of the two things that you just heard about. And ultimately, what happens for people who live in your state uh, who are having the experience along with us at a societal level, uh, having to go through the extreme weather events that are happening here in Minnesota frequently and interacting with our built environment in a very expensive way. Here in Minnesota, we had three individual storms last May that each cost over a billion dollars. And we experience having all four seasons robustly here in Minnesota, uh, insurance risk in a way that doesn't track say our uh, states in the Gulf Coast where the primary risk is coming seasonally through uh, hurricanes. So we have people living in our state who are experiencing it now. We know the industry is on the front line, not just the PNC industry, but also our health insurance industry, our life insurance industry. And all of that data inf and information is being used to make decisions that affects what consumers pay for their insurance products. Ultimately, we want people to be healthy and safe in their homes so that when extreme weather events do occur or uh, uh, the changing climate starts to affect uh, the situation that people are living in, that they're able to uh, thrive in the face of that changing climate and also save money in the process. Heidi, how much is resiliency part of the equation? It's a critical component of the equation. So when I think about sort of how we manage climate risk and as we think about how um, not only in the context of, of varied insurance, you know, the insurance industry's response to climate risk and mitigating that risk, um, we have to think about two critical things. So the first is, you mentioned resilience, right? This is preparing systems, built environment 
the health of people, our communities, the industry, the sector, right? The finances, um, those very realistic components of what makes the heartbeat of the industry. We need to be thinking not only about that resilience piece and the multiple dimensions of that, sort of how do we prepare to effectively manage the risk and come out the other side still thriving and successful, um, but we also need to be thinking about how we actually mitigate the problem of climate change. Um, we know that the planet is warming as a consequence of the production of fossil fuels, right? We're, com we're combusting fossil fuels that's producing greenhouse gases. So I think as I talk with many industries and different leaders across all different states and international countries and others, we need to be thinking about the two parts of the climate solutions coin. That's the, the adaptation, preparing for the change we set in motion and contributing in any way we can um, to reducing emissions. And there's a huge role for the sector to be thinking about and critically regulators to be incentivizing the adoption and the use of materials such as metal roofs and other things, thinking about how we manage the risks both from the mitigation, actual greenhouse gas mitigation part of the equation and the resilience piece. So the materials need to be resilient, but they can also be better in terms of their overall carbon footprint. Um, right. So the insurance industry has helped out a little bit in doing some research on this. They built a state-of-the-art facility in South Carolina where you can build two buildings next to each other using a fortified standard and the existing standard and then subjecting both buildings to the same environmental impact. And it's amazing to see what happens when you spend just a little bit more money to have the buildings more fortified. And even here in Minnesota, we decided to uh, adopt a, a set of uh, principles that if you do build according to those standards, insurers would be required to provide a premium discount. We know that in other states where this has been tried, it has been successful. We know that insurers would prefer to have those risks that they know are going to be less expensive. So there will be a strong financial incentive to, to, to do this going forward. And we've got some of the best research to, to back that up. Yeah. And here in Minnesota, we'll be the first cold weather and first Midwestern state in the country to stand up a program like the one that Mark just described. And we've seen it be really successful, primarily in Gulf Coast states. Uh, and, you know, as the folks down at uh, the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety like to say, wind is wind is wind. So just because we don't have a hurricane coming through Minnesota doesn't mean that we don't have the same kind of or similar kind of wind-based risks here in our state. I think uh, to Heidi's point that uh, the materials science is always evolving. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about IBHS as a research facility is that uh, the the standards continue to evolve as we better understand the science behind how uh, buildings are constructed. I think that helps us with the adaptation. It helps us create health and safety outcomes for the people that live in those structures. But we do have to be really thoughtful about where the materials are coming from. At our department, we're in a really unique place in the country. We're the only insurance regulator nationally who also has uh, the state's energy offices located in our four walls as well. And so we sit at this really interesting intersection of the two things that Heidi was talking about. And our climate action framework as a state, which Governor Walz's administration uh, rolled out last September, really gets at this core critical air question of how do we get resiliency? But that's only one chapter of six where we have transportation clean energy and building development, health, and also thinking about how we all of those things intersect with one another. That's how we'll be able to make progress and make sure people can adapt and also start to make progress on greenhouse gas reduction. 
How are you three collaborating for a synergistic effect on this? Yeah, I think actually I was just thinking, you know, the word collaboration is one that um, is really important, a central tenant of the work that I do at my organization, the University of Minnesota Climate Adaptation Partnership. Um, but also the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has noted that collaboration is one of the key needs internationally. It doesn't matter where you are, where you live, what climate risk you're managing, improved coordination and collaboration across boundaries, geopolitical boundaries, across industries, across different knowledge systems, across name the thing. We need to be thinking about new and creative collaborations, and there is no one-size-fits-all solution. And so in order to try to get it right or as right as we can with the information we have now and continue to evolve and adapt together, um, we need to coordinate and collaborate. So um, and one of the things I've been really um, thrilled to have been partnering with Department of Commerce on a range of things we supported through um, commerce to actually generate future climate risk information for the state that will get integrated into a range of decisions, both within the state of Minnesota and by individuals and local units of government. Um, and I think panels like this and conversations like this are a great example of how um, even just having dialogue and finding those opportunities for connection are really essential to those foundations of ongoing collaboration. And the governor had a task force that, that had met for uh, <laughs> the better part of two years uh, discussing these things. And so the legislation that passed in the legislative session that, that just finished uh, was not out of the blue. It was uh, kind of the end result of some of the discussions that happened as part of the task force, which was pretty comprehensive. It was uh, met multiple times uh, over a few years with uh, you know, as many as 50 people involved. It was very robust. And it's just the start of what will be happening in the future. Yeah, I think I think the insurance industry has definitely been a leader in the space. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it comes from being on the front lines every single day of climate risk and what that is doing to the bottom line of your business model. But I think, you know, from a regulatory perspective, um, you know, as much as Mark and I enjoy each other personally, right? <laughs> Sometimes you can have not a great relationship between business and government um, because there's, you know, there, there are there's natural potential for a conflict there. But I think one of the things that we've done really well in Minnesota, and you see this replicated in other states that have taken steps, is that there really is that common interest in trying to make change. This makes good business sense. It also makes good sense on a human level because we have that shared interest in making sure people are health and, healthy and safe in their homes. And we have a collective interest at a societal level to try to make collective changes. And I think one of the lessons that we've learned in the insurance industry through climate risk analysis and climate risk disclosure is that lots of people have pieces of information. Um, if we collectively gather that information and look at it, not only will that help us improve our regulatory practice and ask better questions of insurance companies, but we can put that information that insurers have that they use to calculate premiums and do risk analysis and put that in concert with other information that the state collects to make sure that we're building resiliency at a neighborhood level, at a community level, at a state level, and hopefully we're getting adaptation benefits across the whole country. I think there's a really important role too in considering you know, a policyholder <laughs> and a provider. And that, that also becomes really real as um, it's one thing to talk about climate risk and numbers and sort of the level at which we've been talking. And there's another real reality, which is that those billion dollar disasters that we've seen increase across the entire country, we're seeing states where they're no longer going to be providing policies to people, um, the increasing policies such that people opt to go without, even though maybe they are supposed to have insurance, right? There are real costs and consequences to not only climate risk and the realities of what it means 
but also really collaboration and authentic responsiveness. So I think it's it's not just about the finances of a business, but also how how customers are served and policyholders are supported because it's a dynamic space. And I can say from lived experience, having real damage from one of those billion dollar disasters that um, it's a deeply painful process to engage with the insurance industry. And I'm privileged in both time and that I can step away and make calls and send emails. And a majority of folks um, don't necessarily have the resources, the time or the persistence to even try to get a response. And I think there's a real need to be thinking about this broader ecosystem. Well, and and I think in that in that context too, that sharing of information helps us understand who can access the system as well too. I think um, who has insurance and where they are geographically is an important question for us to be thinking, particularly when we're talking about climate risk, where you may have uh, your built environment and where you're having uh, weather-related uh, disasters happening oftentimes affects the people who live in our oldest and most underinsured housing stocks. So there's uh, not only a, a personal uh, level there and an equity issue for us to be considering as regulators, but it also makes good business sense. There's opportunity in that as well. That's uh, the kind of win-win that we can only gather information about if we're getting inputs on the data side from the industry, from uh, people on the ground and convening the conversations to actually do that work. Great discussion. Heidi, Peter, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. Thank you. From the IASA conference in Minneapolis, I'm John Weber for I Am Best TV. Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.